Now, God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for bringing us together to this place to hear from you. We commit the vessel that you have chosen to speak to us into your hands and ask, Father, that you will speak through him in the name of Jesus. Those of us who listen, we ask that you will prepare our hearts, Heavenly Father. Wherever there be hardness, we ask that you will take it away and give us hearts of flesh. Open our eyes to see you, Lord Jesus. Open our ears to hear you and give us the grace to accept your truth, no matter how hard it is. May that which we will hear today prepare us for eternity and make us the children of God that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, dear brother. I appreciate you. Again, I greet you all in the name of Jesus. The topic for tonight is overcoming famine. Overcoming famine. And I hope everyone can see my screen clearly. Um, these, what I will be sharing this night, are the result of my struggles, my reflections and resolutions. Some of these are very personal, very personal. I have struggled about many things. And as we look at the realities of the end times, I have been asking the Lord many questions. I've been reflecting on many things from scriptures. And there are some resolutions that I am making or I have made. And I share this with you tonight in the hope and prayer that they can also be an encouragement to you. Of course, like it was mentioned in the intro, these are the end times. And there are many things that have been spoken about concerning the end times. And one of those things, of course, is the devastation is the crisis, is the uncertainty that will mark the end times. Just listening to the news every day is a stark reminder of those realities, a stark reminder that indeed we are in the end times, a stark reminder that there is much that we need to be seeking the face of the Lord for. The session will be both having personal applications as well as general applications. We don't want to just generalize everything. We want to be able to ask ourselves those hard questions that we need to answer, but also apply them to the general community that we live in. So what is this thing called famine? Someone asked me the question this evening and said, Brother Chinedu, what is this famine you are talking about? What is this famine? And a simple definition that came to my heart is a state of extreme need, 
a state of extreme need. And what is happening today is that our generation is being devastated in so many different ways. We live in a state of devastation, a time when at the individual levels, as well as the community levels, the national levels, and international levels, there are devastations taking place. There is much treachery. There is much uncertainty. There is much pain. There is much dryness. There were, as I researched and prepared this session for this session, I saw pictures online that just broke my heart. Just thinking that this is the reality of our world even today. So the famine could be national, it could be international, it could be community, but also the famine could just be your family. The famine could actually just be in your personal life. That dryness, that dryness, and that situation where you find that you are unable to walk with God as you should, you are unable to nourish and nurture your spiritual, your emotional, your psychological, your financial, your relationships as you ought to. There's a dryness in the air. There's a dryness all around. And we need to be asking the question, what should we do? My main text is from 2 Samuel chapter 21. And I read verse 1. I hope you can see my screen. I read verse 1. He says, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of Yahweh. Yahweh said, it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death. Now, this is the context where I will be drawing most of my guidelines for tonight. He says there was famine in the land, famine in the days of David for three years. And I see the way it was emphasized. The Bible did not just say for three years. The Bible says year after year. Famine for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. And Yahweh said, it is for Saul. This thing is because of what Saul did to the Gibeonites. Now we shall continue to look at the ways to re react, the ways to respond. And we use that scripture as our text. The first thing is we must identify 
and we must accept where there is famine. I don't know, but the Bible says that there was famine in the land, the days of David, for three years. Why did it take three years before David responded? Paradventure, David did not see the reality. Paradventure, David did not see the critical need of the famine. Paradventure, David was busy with other things. Paradventure, David did not identify that there was famine in the land because things were okay with him. Sometimes we are shielded from the realities around us. And because we are shielded from those realities around us, we do not taste, we do not see, we do not feel, we do not recognize that there is dryness. In this last days, there is dryness, dear brethren, there is dryness everywhere and we don't recognize it. Often we don't recognize that there is this dryness. Maybe because we are comfortable where we are. Maybe because life is good where we are. Maybe because we are in a church that is balanced. But if we put our ears to the ground, there is spiritual drought. Another word for famine is actually drought. There is spiritual drought. The, the, the World Health Organization says that millions are prone to die from starvation, physical starvation in the Horn of Africa, in Somalia, in Kenya, in Eritrea, in Somaliland, in Djibouti. But the world is continuing as normal because people have not identified the pain in our generation. People have not identified that there is sorrow in our generation. We heard in Nigeria just a few days ago, gunmen entered a church and killed 50 people. Now it's almost still news because more catastrophes have happened since then. More deaths, more killing around the world, more shooting. And so what is happening is that we are being numbed because of the levels of devastation around us. We are being numbed. Death is no more as jarring as it used to be. And in the same way, at the personal level, when we are living below spiritual expectation, we can get used to that. We can get used to living in a way that is below par, where we are not growing, where we are not digging deeper, when we are not experiencing more and more of God. We must, the first thing I'm saying tonight, we must identify where there is drought, where there is famine at the personal level, or where there's famine at the community level, or where there's famine at the national or international level. 
we must never get used to famine. We must, part of what we must be aware in the last days, we must never get used to famine. No matter how shielded we are, we must not get used to famine. David, for the first year there was famine, he didn't do anything because he was not touched by it. The second year, he didn't do anything because he was not touched by it. The third year, he didn't do anything. It was beyond him. He didn't see the reality. And this leads me to saying this, look around and recognize where there is famine in your life and in your community. Open your eyes to see. Those of you who are listening to me now, if you have a pen or a paper, I would ask you to please write down some of these thoughts. Write down some of these thoughts. I will work to get you this video. I will work to get you the audio, but just write down some of these thoughts as we go through them one after the other. And the thought number one is look around and look within and recognize wherever there is famine, first of all, in your life, in your community, open your eyes to see. Open your eyes to see. Number two is think of others. Think of others. What does that mean? David may have been secure. He may have been safe. He may have had food to eat. But what about all his people? What about his entire community? Friends, things may be well with you spiritually, but look around you. Look at the devastation. Look at the spiritual corruption. Look at the sickness. Look at the sadness. Look at the sorrow. Look around you, dear brothers, and ask, what am I doing about others? If it is well with me, what am I doing about the brothers and the sisters who are out there, who are asking for help, who are seeking for help? Think of others. If you don't suffer famine, think of the millions who do and let the pain affect you. Let their pain affect you. Fight for others in your community. If you are feeding well, think of the millions in starvation. If your spiritual life is great, think of the millions who are under preachers and pastors who teach heresy. Think of the millions and hundreds of millions who have never heard the name of Jesus before. In the city where I am, I went out with my wife this afternoon and just driving and seeing the thousands and thousands who do not know the name of Christ. Our hearts were broken. So even if you think you are okay, think about all those who are not okay. Think and pray for them. Think and find ways to engage with your community, which leads to the third thing. It was after the third year that David actually now inquired of the Lord. After the third year, 
He had waited the first year, nothing happened. Waited the second year, nothing happened. But by the third year, what happened was that he now went and started inquiring of the Lord. He started inquiring. He asked, what is the reason, Lord? Why is this situation like this? Why are we where we are? Friends, the only way we would stay up to date and we can respond accurately in this last days is to have the spirit of inquiry. You see, inquiring goes beyond asking. It is a determined resolution to get an answer, to be resolute, to be unwavering, to be repetitive in asking. Now, when something is not working in your life, if something is going wrong in your life, don't shrug your shoulders and just say, well, it is the will of the Lord. Go to the Lord and ask those questions. Go to the Lord and ask, Lord, why is there famine in my life? Some of you listening to me right now, you have famine ravaging your spiritual life. There's famine maybe ravaging your family. Maybe there's famine ravaging your business. Maybe there's famine ravaging your community, your church, your nation. The question is, what are you doing about this? You need to go to the Lord and ask, inquire, not just ask. Ask again and again, repeatedly ask, Lord, why is this happening? Be determined to find an answer, to get an answer. You see, those who are resolute, they keep knocking, just like that widow and the unjust judge. They keep knocking on the door. They keep asking, Lord, why is there famine in my life? Why is there famine in my community? Why is there famine in my spiritual life? Why is there famine in my family? Why is there famine in my children? Why is there famine in my business? Why is there famine in my country? We need to be asking those questions. Why, Lord? Why? Why is there famine? And as we ask repeatedly, the Lord is faithful. The Lord will begin to answer. That leads me to the fourth thing. God answers. Listen, friends, in this age of famine, we must be people that truly believe that God answers prayer. We must be people that believe that God speaks because he does. He does. One of the things we need most desperately in these end times is that we must be people who don't just ask, but who are willing to listen, who are willing to hear, who are willing to receive from the Lord what he's saying. God may be saying to you, the reason you have famine spiritually 
is because of X, Y, Z. There is something in your life you need to let go. That's why you are not growing spiritually. That's why your relationship is not growing with the Lord. That's why your relationship in your place of work is stagnant. You need to find out, Lord, what is the reason? And the Lord answers. Friends, the Lord answers. I want to challenge you. Faith in God's goodness is key in this battle. Silence the voices that say your famine is permanent. Reject double-mindedness. You know, in these last days, we cannot afford to be double-minded. We cannot afford to doubt the goodness of God. Even when we don't understand what is happening, even when the voice of God is still not clear to us, we must be people that believe in the goodness of God because this spiritual battle is fierce and only faith in the goodness of God will keep us through the famine, will overtake the famine, will override the famine. Those voices that say the famine will never change, those are lying voices. Those are voices of hell. God answers. The Bible says David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him. Hallelujah. The Lord actually answered him. And the Lord said, this is the reason for the famine. And so you need to come to the Lord. We need to come to the Lord with a clear assurance, a clear understanding that the Lord will speak. Don't accept your famine as permanent. That is not God's will for you. Don't accept it. Don't say this situation is permanent. If that's not what the Lord has said, don't accept it. We need to push back, but we need to hear what is he saying? What is the Lord saying? And based on what the Lord is saying, we need to respond to him. And that is point number five. Sometimes, friends, even when it's not your fault, it's still a problem. Because sometimes there will be famine, but the famine has nothing to do with you. You have not sinned. Your community has not sinned, yet there is a famine in the land, yet there is a drought in the land. And we need to ask, Lord, you say this is not my problem, or you said I'm not the reason for this famine, but I'm still affected. And that's the truth. Some things may affect you, even though you are not the cause. That's the reality of the last days. There are things that will happen around you that will cause you to experience drought. And so your famine may be totally somebody else's fault. But don't dwell on whose fault it was. And don't play the blame game. Face the reality. 
ask the question, what must we do? It, it's not your fault that you are where you are. Maybe someone out of jealousy, you know, did some things against you and you are in famine. Maybe it's someone in the community and you are in famine. Listen, friends, it does not matter what has caused you to experience this loss, this drought, this pain, this suffering, this sense of God has abandoned me, nothing is working for me anymore. And in your community or in your country, maybe it's the same thing. It may not be your fault. You may have nothing to do with you, but it is still your reality. You still have to face it that there is something that happened and it impacted your life. When David went to the Lord and inquired, the Lord said, this thing is because of Saul. Saul is responsible for this. But you know, at this point, Saul has died. At this point, Saul is gone. And yet people suffered for three years because of what Saul did to the Gibeonites. Three years of famine, three years of drought, three years of pain, three years of suffering, three years of death, simply because someone had done something and that thing was still having an impact after this person had died. And that's why I said, your famine may not be your fault. It may be totally someone else's fault. But you see, don't dwell on this. So many people focus on this person is responsible or that person is responsible. It's not who's responsible that matters. Don't do the blame game, friends. Don't do the blame game because the blame game doesn't work. Face the reality. And this leads me to point number six. We need to do something. You see, in the face of this atrocity, David rose up and said, all right, so it was Saul's fault. It's not our fault, but Saul, Saul is no more. And I'll just like to read that. You know, Saul is no more. Saul is gone. Saul is no more around. But here it is. We are suffering because of what Saul has done. But the Bible says there in 2 Samuel, uh, for those who join, in 2 Samuel chapter 21, we read from verse 1 to verse, or just verse 1. Now, the Bible says in verse 3, Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? We need to do something. Don't just sit back and criticize. So many people are excellent critics. I'm from Nigeria. I'm a Nigerian. And many people are criticizing and analyzing the political landscape. But many of them have not got their voters card to vote, to change the political landscape. To change famine is not by much analysis. After the Lord has shown you what to do, 
You need to act. We need to act. Farming will continue until we do something specific about it. It may mean that you stop watching late night movies so you can wake up early to meet with the Lord. It may mean that you need to reduce your eating so you can spend more time in fasting. It may mean that you stop a particular job. It may mean that you break some particular relationships. It may mean that you get your voter's card. It may mean, but we need to do something. It may mean you restructure your business. It may mean you fire someone in your business. It may mean that you hire someone in your business. It may mean that you leave a town or leave a city. It may mean you go somewhere else. Friends, to do nothing is not an option. Many are struggling, many are suffering. David took responsibility, not just for himself, he took responsibility for his community. He wasn't just doing this for himself. He was doing this for his world. And I ask you, I beg you, in the name of Jesus, I beg you, if everything is going well with you and you have no famine in your life, if everything is perfect spiritually, economically, relationally, in your family, in your business, in your finances, in your health, if everything is working perfectly, praise God for your life, then do something for others. I mean, in the last two, three weeks, I have come to connect with, hear about, know, maybe close to 10 people who have cancer. And it breaks my heart. I don't have cancer. But suddenly I'm realizing that cancer is ravaging my world, my friends, my community. So many people are struggling. I can just re relax and say, well, I don't have a problem with cancer, but how can that be God's will? If my community is ravaged with a famine, I need to do something about it. We need to do something whether at the personal level to break the chain of famine in our lives or in the lives of others. To do nothing is not an option. Take action based on what God has revealed. Take action. Even if it's painful, take action. Do something. The only way we can override cancer is that we do something. For some of us, it may be fasting and praying for them, but we must do something. Friends, one of the things I'm challenging you tonight is don't fold your arms and say, I have nothing to do. Because in the reality of these last days, with famine ravishing our world, ravaging our world, we must do something. Make sure you do something first about your own personal famine and then do something about the world around you. Now, number seven is a bit tricky. You see, point number seven is a bit tricky because when I read the Bible, I really got very sad. The Bible says that after David asked the Gibeonites, he said, 
what, what should I do that you may atone or you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? What, what can I do to make a difference, to take away this famine in our land? The Gibeonites said, give us seven sons of Saul that we may hang them. Give us seven sons of Saul that we may hang them. And I said to myself, what a terrible thing. But David had no choice. David went and took two sons from a particular woman, five sons from another woman, and handed them over to the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites hung or hung, sorry, these seven people hung them publicly. Seven young men, seven young men with their future before them. Seven young men died. They died because of Saul. Saul was gone. Here were seven innocent young men who died because their father had done some terrible things. Brethren, one of the things I am asking you to do is reject transgenerational famine. Reject transgenerational famine. What do I mean? Don't let the famine that comes from your ancestors afflict you. Don't let the famine that comes from others overtake you. Don't let the sins of those who have gone before you punish you. It's not the will of God that because of someone else's sin, you suffer. Jesus suffered for the sins of the world. Jesus died for the sins of the world. You are not Jesus. Don't let someone else's sin, someone else's foolishness, someone else's carelessness become the reason for your own devastation. That is not God's will for you. Reject it theologically. Reject it spiritually. I call it transgenerational famine. Famine that impacts a generation but actually came from another generation. What we are suffering, for example, I'm sorry I'm using Nigerian examples, but I'm a Nigerian and that's my context. But part of the problems and the struggles that we face in Nigeria today are actually transgenerational. They are the result of failures of previous leaders, failures of our fathers, failures even of the church that was before us. There is a failure that impacts the subsequent generation. Seven sons of Saul were hung in public because of the failure of their fathers. And here, it was the failure of Saul. But we need to reject this. We need to fight this. And we need to make sure that we are standing against a continuation of a generational curse. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, we all go back and look for our ancestors' history and begin to dig out what they did or what they did not do. No, that's not what I'm saying. But you can take a stand 
for yourself. Take a stand for your family. Take a stand for your nation. Take a stand for your community and say to yourself, I will not let the failure of those before me hang me. I will not let that happen. Don't be hanged for someone else's crime. Don't pass on your trauma also to future generation. Practice reparenting. Now, I'll deal with what I'm calling reparenting, but let me, there are three things I'm dealing with here. The first is those boys were hanged. You know, I, I, I just cannot remove that picture from my mind. Those boys were crying. Those boys were screaming. Those boys were begging their mothers, saying, mom, why are they hanging me? What have I done? Those boys were crying. Why? Why, mom? Why? Why am I being taken away? Why am I being taken away? I have done nothing wrong. Why, mom? Help me, someone. Help me. But no one could help them. All seven were hung in public because of what Saul did to the Gibeonites. It's a tragedy. And I'm saying to myself, I will not be hung because someone did something crazy before me. It's like somebody working on your brakes, the brakes of your car. And because of his incompetence, he did not screw or tighten your brakes correctly. And you were driving on a hilly terrain and you step on the brakes and the brakes refuse to work. And your car plunges over the precipice and your car plunges into a ditch and you are with your wife and your children. The question you ask is, why did the brake fail? Well, the brake failed because an incompetent young man was the one who serviced your brakes before you went on that journey. And this incompetent young man did not do the needful and you and your family could suffer trauma or devastation simply because of someone else's carelessness. Now, we need to reject that. We need to pray against that. We need to say, no, I will not die because someone else was careless or foolish. It's not God's will for me. It's not God's will for you. That's part one. Part two is, no, don't pass on your trauma to the future generation. That's where, as parents, you must be careful that you are not doing anything that could compromise the future generation. One of the things I've been fighting tenaciously is for correct doctrine in church because we cannot afford to pass on to the next generation some failures that we received from the previous generation. And today we have a generation of young men and young women who do not read their Bibles anymore, who depend on a pastor to prophesy or give them some anointing oil to drink or some handkerchief to put in their pocket. You know, we, we have received a kind of Christianity that is traumatizing our spiritual generation. But we must be careful not to do things to traumatize the next generation. How you handle your business, 
how you work in your office, how you relate with your children, how you relate with your community could either bring a blessing to the future generation or it could bring a curse to the future generation. So that's the second thing, that in this issue of famines, don't pass on any of your traumas to the future generation. We need to practice what I'm calling reparenting. That means having seen the failures that came from the past, we now need to be sure to realign our parenting practices, our in, in interaction with our generation to ensure that we are reparenting, we are creating a new generation of men and women who have a new understanding and who will not receive trauma from their previous generation. Unfortunately, these seven boys died. They had no hope, they had no help, and they died because of Saul. The next is your giant is nearby. Your giant is nearby. Please note this, number eight. You know, when you look at scriptures, once the famine issues were over in verse 14, in verse 15, immediately the giants appeared. And these giants, it looked as though they had been waiting in the sidelines, waiting for the famine to ravage the community, ravage the people of God. And having ravaged the people of God, then the giants appeared. If you read from verse 15 to the end of that chapter, verse 22, there are four sons of the giants who appeared. Brethren, I want you to note this, that we must be vigilant. Why? The devastations, the famines that we are facing are meant to weaken you for the next battle. So someone who doesn't read his Bible again and again, week after week, doesn't pray week after week, just kind of you know, glasses, uh, glosses over you know, spiritual disciplines. He does not know that he is being prepared for the next challenge, which is the giants which are to come. Every famine that comes to you as a person or comes to your family or comes to your community, every famine that comes is meant to weaken you before the giants come. COVID-19 is a famine that has ravaged our generation. But can I say to you, and I'm not a prophet of doom, that COVID-19 is not the end of the story. It's just to weaken us enough for the giants to come. There are more serious things that will face our generation in the coming years if Jesus tarries. So it is all to weaken you. So when you see yourself being weakened emotionally, being weakened psychologically, being weakened financially, being weakened spiritually, being weakened in your family, being weakened in your marriage, being weakened in your community, being weakened in your nation, please know that the giants are around the corner. 
And the idea is let the famine weaken these people, weaken them to the point that when the giants come, they will be unable to fight. If you look at that story from verse 15 and verse 16, there is a giant called Ishbenob. And this man came and he had a new sword. Can you see that? A new sword. And he thought to kill David. The idea here being that David had been weakened. The people had been weakened. And having been weakened, the giants now appeared. When you are weak, the giant come. Be ready for your next giant. Friends, never, ever relax. In these last days, one famine will always lead to another famine, lead to another famine, lead to another famine, and eventually the giant will come. And the purpose of the giant is to slay you. The purpose of the giant is to destroy you, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your family, to destroy your relationship, to destroy your consecration, to destroy your, your relationship with your parents, to destroy your business, to destroy your health. That is the vision. I repeat, that is the vision of the famine, to weaken to the point of death to weaken, to make the work easy for the giants. May we never give way to the giants that are coming in the name of Jesus. Number nine is Abishai. God bless this man. The Bible says there in verse 17, but Abishai, the son of Zuriah, came to David's aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Thank God for Abishai, hallelujah. Thank God that David had an Abishai. I really thank God. What if David did not have an Abishai? What if David was confronting even this giant alone? He would have been, he would have been destroyed. He would have been finished. Friends, I am asking you, I am begging you, make sure every one of you, you have your Abishai. In this time of famine, in this last days, in these days of devastation, we all need this Abishai because we are in very violent times. We need strong and mighty men who stand with us. We need strong and mighty men who fight with us, who fight for us. By the grace of God, I have my Abishai's. By the grace of God, I am Abishai to some of you listening to me right now. By the grace of God, I know if not for some Abishai's who are standing and praying for me and my family, I have no hope, no hope whatsoever. But make sure you have your Abishai. Don't walk alone. Stay in touch with your Abishai. Stay in touch with your close fighting partner. Finally, number 10, and this is where it really gets exciting. Don't settle for less. Oh, even though you have lived in the time of famine, 
Don't accept the famine as your default. Don't accept the famine as God's will for you, for your family, for your business, for your community, for your nation. Don't accept the famine. Don't accept it. There may be seasons of famine in our lives, but do not accept it as the norm. Yes, there may be a time that God may allow you to go through a famine. There may be a time that God may allow you to suffer some pain, some loss, some devastation, some drought. Yes, we accept there are seasons when this may happen, but never, ever, ever accept it as a loss or as a norm. Don't think that my status quo in the famine is my final situation. That is not God's final situation. We must reject the famine as a final situation. Why? Because God's will for you and I is the abundant life. The opposite of famine is this abundance. God's will for me is abundance. Abundance in my spiritual life, abundance in my emotions, abundance in my relationships, abundance in my family life, abundance in my marriage, abundance in my business, abundance in my place of work, abundance in my community, abundance in my nation. It is God's will that you and I participate in, promote, experience, and live by the abundant life. Jesus came and died that you and I may have abundance. John 10, 10 says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they, you and I, may have life, but not just life, but that they may have it more abundantly, that they may have it more abundantly. The will of God for me is that I experience the abundant life. I live the abundant life. I promote the abundant life. I transmit the abundant life. Now the famine is the result of the thief. And we must confront the thief. The thief has come to steal. The thief has come to kill. The thief has come to destroy. Don't accept the work of this thief. Don't accept it as normal, brothers. Don't accept that your current state of failure or your current state of lack or your current state of drought your broken home, your broken business, your broken health, your broken relationship, your broken emotions, your failures. Don't accept that as what is God's will. That is not the norm. Jesus says that they may have life, but not just life, but life more abundantly. And by the grace of God, the more I understand this, the more I am able to live by this, the more I am able to experience it, 
that the abundant life is not for a few people. The abundant life is not just for your spiritual life. It's for your emotional life. It's for your marriage. It's for your parenting. It's for your children. It's for your family. It's for your business. It's for your community. It's for your place of work. Accept that the coming of Jesus is to provide us a way out of this famine. A way out of this famine. What is the abundant life? And I want to close here. What is this abundant life? There are five things I just want to mention and then we just pray. What is the abundant life? Number one, the abundant life is the abundant presence of God. Hallelujah. I want to live in the reality of the very presence of God in me to live with God being with me every single day. If you want the abundant life, that's where to start. It's to begin to have a strong desire for divine presence. Don't be happy just going through life. Seek divine presence. Number two, divine power. Not just presence, but power. Too many Christians are full of knowledge but bankrupt in spiritual power. The abundant life is about power. You lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. You pray and the dead rise. You speak into a situation and it is transformed. Your words do not fall to the ground because there's power. There's power to endure. There's power to overcome. There's power to travail in prayer. There's power to, 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 to push through. Like the psalmist says, by God, I can push through the troops. I can climb over the world, the wall. There's power with God. There's power. That is abundant life. There's power. The presence of God brings the power of God. The third thing is provision. The abundant life means that my God does supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't believe that our living in poverty, our living in perpetual lack, our living in substandard, you know, living is God's will. There is divine provision for everything that is a need. The abundant life is supposed to express this provision. I believe with all my heart that those who operate in this abundance will overcome the famine that comes with, you know, financial devastation. It's not God's will for you and I to go around begging for food. It's not God's will. Since I was old, now I'm young. I have, since I was young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or beg bread. That is the confession of an abundant life. I'm not called to beg for bread. You are not called to live in devastation financially, emotionally. God will provide. God does provide as part of this abundant life. Number four is pregnancy. Where the presence of God is, 
where the power of God, where the provisions of God are. He impregnates us with his thoughts. He impregnates us with his feelings. He impregnates us with his vision. So we no longer do what we want. We are pregnant with God. All of his heart, his thoughts, as though we carry the, the womb of God and we carry the baby of God. And within us are all the feelings of God, all the movements of God. We carry that baby within us. We know how God feels when God sees the world. And then finally, number five is the promises. The abundant life is full of the promises. No matter what your situation is, the abundant life is God speaking to you again, providing promises, promises about the present, promises about the future. You open the word of God and the promises of God flow, they flow. I want us to pray. And there are a few things I really want us to just go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to beg you in this time of prayer, uh, don't escape. This is not a time to leave the meeting. This is the time for prayer. We're over a hundred people on this platform and we are going to pray by the grace of God. There are five things I want us to pray about at this moment. The first thing I want us to pray about is I want us to pray asking God to speak, to open our eyes, to see the reasons for famine. Is there famine in your life? Is there famine in your family? Is there some way you are feeling drought? You are feeling emptiness? You are feeling pain? You are feeling devastation? Is there something eating at your family, eating at your business, eating at your community? Our first prayer is we're going to ask the Lord, open our eyes, open our eyes to see, open our eyes to hear, open our eyes to understand what is your will? Why is this happening? What should I do different? Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm just going to ask us to unmute and go to the Lord in prayer. Open my eyes. Speak to me. in Jesus' name we pray. Prayer number two, reject famine as the norm in your life. 
and your community. Don't accept farming as normal. I want you at this point to reject farming. Say, it's not the will of God for me. It's not the will of God for my family. It's not the will of God for my community. It's not the will of God for my country. I reject every form of farming in my life. Please, can you go to the Lord? Just unmute yourself and go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I reject every family in Jesus name we pray number three ask for the boldness to act based on God's revelation the moment David understood that something needed to be done, David went and said to the Gibeonite, all right, we need to do something. He took action. Some actions may be very painful. Some action may mean switching off your internet for two weeks. Some action may mean leaving your job to find another job. Some action may mean going on a long fast. Some action may mean leaving your city for another city. But based on the revelation of God, that is what you respond to. I want you to pray and say, God, speak to me. I have rejected famine, but once I hear you, give me the boldness to ask, to act. Let us pray in the name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus. Give me the boldness to act. Once you speak to me, Number four is Amen. very important. If you can see my screen, number four is reject hanging. Those boys, they died for something that they had no reason to die for. Those seven young men died a very useless death. And that thing grieves my heart. Because of Saul's foolishness, seven of his sons died a useless death. Begin to pray about yourself. I will not die a useless death. I will not be hanged because of someone else's foolishness. I will not act. I will not suffer because of another person's sin. 
I will not I will not die because of someone else's foolishness. Please can I ask you to just unmute and just make that declaration. In the name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, I reject hanging. Never die. in jesus name we pray i'm sorry i'm moving quickly because of time these giants are coming. These giants are coming. I want you to pray for the strength, strength to fight off giants. David was nearly killed because he had been weakened in the battle and he could not face that giant. I want you to pray, Lord, give me strength. However this giant manifests, give me strength to fight. Let us pray. Jesus name we pray. I want you to pray for Abishai. Abishai is your prayer partner. Don't be alone in this battle. Where is your Abishai? Friends, where is your Abishai? You need Abishai close to you. Can you if you have an Abishai say Lord, may my Abishai fight for me. May my Ab you know some people say I'm praying for you but they are lying. Many people say, I'm praying for you, but they don't pray for you. That's the truth. Not many people are real Abishais. I have my Abishais, and I know they pray for me. I am Abishai to some people. I'm committed to pray for them every day. Like my siblings and their families, my mother, my wife, my children. Look, I'm Abishai to these people. There are some men and women God has given me to mentor and disciple I am Abishai to them. I pray for them. I look for them. I ask them questions. I check on them because I'm Abishai. I want to make sure that they are not about to be killed by some giant somewhere. Can you ask the Lord, please give me Abishais, true Abishais, and let my Abishais be close to me so they can help me when I am weak, when the giant is about to kill me. Cry to the Lord 
for Abishai. Okay, Just cry to the Lord. In the name of Jesus, we go provide an Abishai for me and my children. Abishai that will stay from return to us. In the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I beg you, please help us find an Abishai who will stay close to us and will be there for we pray the final prayer embrace abundance as god's will oh friends just lift your hand before the lord wherever you are and just say lord i embrace abundance can you just unmute repeat with me i embrace abundance Lord, I embrace abundance. I embrace abundance. I embrace abundance. I Jesus name we pray father I have poured out my heart to your children you have given me such a burden in my heart that it is not your will that we continue in perpetual famine, whether as individuals or as families or our marriages or our businesses or our communities or our countries. We know there is devastation predicted upon the earth. And we know that the love of many will grow cold. And we know that many will fall away. There'll be a falling away of many because of famine. And we know that much drought will come, much wars will come. But Lord, you said that I have come that you may have abundant life. Lord, I pray for every one of these, my brothers and sisters, the same prayers I pray for myself and my family that Lord, your children will live in the fullness of the abundant life, not in famine. Lord, you say that I have come that they may have life, but you didn't say just life. You said life in abundance, in overflow. Lord, I am praying that in our spiritual lives, in our emotional lives, in our relationships, in our families, in our marriages, in our businesses, in our places of work, in our education, in our minds, in our health, in our communities, in our countries. Lord, may we experience your abundance. May we experience your abundance. Let the abundance of God be our portion. Every single person listening to me, 
I am praying the abundance of God is your portion. You will not suffer because of someone else's foolishness. You will not be hanged because of someone else's sin. You will not die because some other people lived in famine. You will have Abishai who will fight with you, who will fight for you, and you will overcome every giant of famine that is upon your life. You will never be satisfied with a life of famine in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you. Open the ears and the eyes of your children. May they not wait until the famine continues year after year after year, month after month after month, week after week after week. Lord, I pray that everyone would quickly enter into inquiry mode to understand why they are going through a famine. And the moment they know, Lord, may they take action based on your revelation. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance over you. The Lord usher you into his abundance. And may you be a source of blessing to the generations to come, not a source of trauma to the generations to come. And your children and your children's children will call you blessed because you lived an abundant life and you bequeathed an inheritance of abundance to the next generation. Not like Saul who bequeathed death to his sons. You will not bequeath famine to your children. You will not bequeath famine to the next generation, but you will bequeath faith. You will bequeath an abundant life to the next generation by the grace of God. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Hallelujah. If everybody agrees with me, can I ask you, just lift your voice and begin to thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We give you everything. We worship you, Lord. We appreciate you, Lord. We adore you, Lord. You are the glory. We say, let your name alone be glorified. Thank you, Jesus. 